Hello, and welcome to another episode of 20 Minute Playbook, where each week we sit down with an elite performer from iconic founders to world renowned investors and best selling authors to dive into the ideas, frameworks, and strategies that got them to the top of their field, all in less than 20 minutes. I'm Daniel Scrivener, and on the show today, I'm joined by Andrew Herr. Andrew is the founder and CEO of Fount, which is on a mission to help everyone look, feel, and perform at their very best. Fount offers a highly customized three-month program that's born out of Andrew's work, enhancing the performance of Special Forces warriors in the U.S. military, including the Navy SEALs. Before founding Fount, Andrew spent seven years running human performance and biotech strategy for the U.S. military Special Forces. Wired Magazine described Andrew's work for the U.S. military as giving our soldiers mutant abilities. Andrew holds master's degrees in microbiology and immunology, health physics, and security studies. He studied at Georgetown's famed School of Foreign Service in Washington, D.C., and he unsurprisingly comes from a highly decorated and long-serving military family. In this episode, you'll learn why Andrew considers his ability to put massive sets of data and observations into frameworks a superpower, and how that helps him orient and make decisions the lessons and values he's taken away from his family's long and decorated military service. The biggest lessons Andrew learned working with the Navy SEALs and Special Forces warriors, including Delta Force and Green Beret soldiers. How Andrew thinks about the commonalities of peak performance across disciplines and why Navy SEALs are not all that different from startup founders, elite athletes, and some of the world's best investors. Andrew shares the little things we should all be doing throughout the day to maximize our performance, including doing small two to three minute workouts between calls and meetings. He he shares some of his favorite books, including The Making of the Atomic Bomb and Why Who is his favorite book around hiring, and more, including the advice Andrew would give himself if he could go back to the start of his career. You can find the show notes and text transcript for this episode at outlieracademy.com slash 128. That's outlieracademy.com slash 128. You can also follow Andrew on Twitter at Andrew Her Bio. That's Andrew H-E-R-R Bio. And you can learn more about Fount by going to fount.bio. With that, let's dive into Andrew Herr's playbook. Andrew, I am thrilled to have you on 20 Minute Playbook. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks so much, Daniel. Really looking forward to chatting. So I love to start by always asking guests about a recent fascination, something that you can't stop thinking about, something that you're obsessed about. What is on your mind lately? So I'll give you two. One is pretty deep technical about the work I do. So you know, if you look at fruits and vegetables, people will tell you those are good for you, you know, eat more berries. They'll say, because there's antioxidants in them, which turns out actually not to be correct. But, you know, there are these plant compounds in them that are good for you. And there's different ones, right? A blueberry's blue and a strawberry's red for, because of there's different compounds in them. And it turns out every fruit or vegetable has a different mix of these compounds called polyphenols. And they're not all the same. They're not just, quote, antioxidants. They're not just anti-inflammatories. They each have different effects on the body. And then in the sort of mix you get naturally from a fruit or vegetable is doing things as, a, as they work together. And so they interact with your microbiome. They're absorbed into the body. So we're doing a lot of work trying to unwind what these very specific compounds do because we've already found unexpectedly in some cases that they do things with sleep that we hadn't ever noticed before, or um, they do things for athletic recovery. And when you give them in different mixes to different people. It's fascinating. And is that the, you said one was deep and technical. You have one other. Yeah. So the second piece is I ran a, an effort for the military trying to look at this question of why do some teams 
perform incredibly well despite the huge stresses of combat and others seem to fall apart. And it's a little bit of a, a longer discussion, but it comes down in the end to trust and mission focus. If you have high trust, it allows you to operate under high stress without having as high stress hormone levels. So trust actually buffers the physiological effects of stress. And then mission focus allows you to keep your brain systems going, prevent burnout, you know, keep those dopamine systems going. But the part that I've been thinking about a lot lately is how this plays out in marriage and, and choosing who you're going to date. You know, we talk a lot about love and caring about the other person. And I think often that's really that sort of trust component we're talking about. You know, but how do people think about what they want in their life? And this is, you know, from finances to kids and other things, where do you want to live? So I think a lot about how this work I did for the military, which we already know applies there, it applies in startups, but how does it apply to your intimate relationships? It's been a, a topic of, of a lot of thought for me recently. Yeah, that's fascinating. Before Founding Found, you know, you ran and you just talked about this a little bit a second ago, you alluded to it. You know, you ran human performance and biotech strategy effort for the U.S. military for seven years, working really closely with the Navy SEALs. What were the biggest lessons you took away from that experience, either from working with the Navy SEALs or from just spending seven years studying and optimizing human performance? So we actually have some really interesting data about what metrics predict someone's going to make it into special operations or will bounce out and won't be selected. And the fascinating thing is these aren't physical things for the most part. These are all about how your brain operates under stress. And I mean, some of this is the ratios of hormones in your blood that predict these things. But at the end of the day, it sort of harkens back. Napoleon said, the moral is the physical as three is to one. And so, you know, how people think and how they operate under stress has got to be the most important piece. And it's cool because those are also things, some of it's inborn and you won't change, but some of that you can change. And so, you know, as we all want to perform better, then you often think about how do we take people with an average response to stress and change the way they individually respond and then put them in teams and change how they respond. Obviously, I sort of referenced that trust component a moment ago, but that's not the only way you can affect that. Yeah. So it sounds like if I'm kind of understanding it correctly, you know, we all have these default characteristics. Sounds like if you're looking, talking about hormones in the blood, you know, I don't know how malleable that is, you know, so does some of that point to just physiologically kind of the way that people are wired being a really important determinant? And then how much is of that is malleable? And maybe that malleableness is, you know, the team and the people you put that person with that brings out certain attributes, or are there things that people can do, I think, to change some of those? So it's both. So you're certainly born with some biology and some people get a little bit of a better card there and some people get a little bit of a more challenging card. And then your early life, you know, let's say as a kid up to, you know, age 18, which would be sort of maybe when we would first see people coming to the military, those, those, you know, experiences influence it. And it's, you know, doesn't necessarily mean having a great childhood was the best piece or having a hard childhood. You see both of them. And there's sort of this interaction between your physiology and the experiences you've had and the environment you're in, but you can absolutely change that. So, you know, a month of meditation a few times a week changes your baseline stress hormone levels and how you respond to stress. Putting people in a team and a high trust team dramatically changes, you know, how much cortisol you'll release in response to a stressor. And then, you know, the, probably the two biggest stressors are for humans are novelty and social judgment. And so, you know, 
if something was new in the environment 10,000 years ago, it could potentially kill you. So you had to be really wary of it. And then if you have a problem with your tribe of 100 or 200 people and you get kicked out, you're in a very bad situation. So evolutionarily it makes sense that these are major human stressors, but there's all kinds of things you can do about them. If you look at the best teams in the world, they train, they train realistically, they train repetitively. You know, before they go in and to do a raid to get bin Laden, they build his compound and train in that compound. That's taking novelty out of the system so that you're there, you know what it looks like, your brain registers it as something you understand. And so, again, there's things you can do at the individual level. There's supplements that affect, you know, this is one of the coolest findings or maybe one of people's favorite findings. There's actually extracts of cocoa, these flavanol compounds in there decrease your stress responsiveness. And so from the like supplement and meditation point, nutrition, there are team building things, there's training things. So there's a whole spectrum of things, but some of it is definitely inborn. And, you know, it's one of the challenging things is like, it's not fair in some, some way, but it also is true. On the other hand, these people who typically work really well under high stress typically also have some more challenges when things are really slow. So there's very little in this world that comes at no cost uh, in anywhere in your life. Yeah, there's no one. Maybe another way of saying that is that there's no one that's geared for all situations and circumstances. We all have kind of a default gearing where we do well. There's some people who are have a very broad spread, but for the most part, there is rarely a totally free lunch. Yeah. You know, at Fount, um, and this makes me fascinated and I uh, want to just jump into all the questions I have for you about Fount. I'm just going to try to keep that to one or two uh, in this interview. Um, you know, at Fount, you've taken all of what you've learned, optimizing performance of special operators and the Navy SEALs, and you've brought that now, uh, you're working to bring it to everyone. And you obviously started with elite athletes, CEOs, investors, you know, people wanting to optimize their performance. And you just alluded to a massive gamut of things that you work with people on at Fount to kind of help them optimize their performance. I want to ask a little bit of a simpler question, which is, you know, so obviously anyone chasing peak performance can come to Fount and they can work with you on a one-on-one -on -one basis to be able to optimize their performance. What is, you know, generalizable um, that everyone should be doing just as a solid baseline? And I think another way of asking that would be when people come to the program, what are the like super simple, do this, do this, do this, that makes the needle start to move a little bit? Yeah. So if you take somebody who hasn't experimented a lot in this space, the first thing I'll tell you is make the right choice the easy choice. You crave sugar, try not to have candy in the house. You're not a sugar person, but you love salt. Like try to avoid keeping Doritos in the house. I love Doritos. I do not eat a lot of Doritos that make me feel bad, but like I don't keep them in the house because there are times when I would eat them. On the other hand, I keep two rotisserie chickens in the fridge at all, more or less all times. And it is absolutely no more work to go and rip a piece of a rotisserie chicken off and eat it than it is to open a bag of Doritos. And so like want to make the right choice, the easy choice. I have a trap bar you know, between me and the bathroom. It's loaded with sort of body weight. So it's not super heavy because it's a trap bar. It's safer to do. I don't have to be totally dialed in. Like it takes me 60 seconds to do a set of five reps on the way to the bathroom. There's very few times when I'm so busy that I can't pull that off a few times during the day. So that would be the first thing. Second thing is getting breakfast right is a really high leverage. And for some people, that means starting to eat breakfast. For some people, that means stopping eating breakfast. So if you tend to have lower blood sugar levels and higher stress hormone levels, eating is usually helpful. 
if you have higher inflammatory levels, maybe intermittent fasting or not eating till lunch can be useful. Some people do better on low carbs. Some people do well with high, some high quality carbs like berries in there. It's a fairly simple set of experiments to run that is one of the highest leverage things we see. And then maybe a couple other things. Shower before bed, go from the, from the bathroom into a dark room and a cold bed, you know, turn down your temperature and or, you know, these pieces of tech like eight sleep and chili pad or Ullers are really effective for most people. And a last one I'll leave you with is meditation programs can be harder for people to implement. But if you can meditate or do breath work in the morning before you check your phone the first time, it's a home run for people because it you get ahead of any of these stressful work or personal things. And when you build that resilience in before the rest of your day comes at you, that's a huge win for people. Yeah, it's fascinating. Your family has a long and decorated, you know, military history. And I wanted to ask if you could share, I guess, a little bit about about that. And one of the questions I was curious about is what values or lessons you've taken away or your family has taken away from this family history? Yeah, it goes back really far. Uh, I have, you know, great grandfather, great, great grandfather, and there's many, many generations of service, including my generation. My grandfather served in the Pacific in World War II. He was one of the first Marines to reach the tops of the cliffs in Guam, won every medal short of the Medal of Honor, took a Japanese bullet to the chest, survived. But so there's a lot of that lore in my family and a lot, a lot that I'm very proud of. I'd say the biggest takeaways are one, mission and giving back and, and sort of responsibility. I'm a quite patriotic person and that ties all those things together. And the second piece is you can do incredible things. If you are truly dedicated to it and surround yourself with the right people, you read these metal citations like the one from my grandfather. And I mean, it's basically like they're, you know, coming onto the beaches as Marines, there's Japanese entrenched in these cliffs. They're shooting down them with mortars and machine guns and grenades I mean, this is incredible stuff and people can do that. And so, you know, it's a little, it's a nice reset when I'm, you know, running a startup and things are hectic and stressful and busy, but there's like no one shooting at me at that moment. So, you know, that's pretty good too. Yeah. Having a, maybe a crowded email inbox seems (laughs) a lot less stressful and uh, a lot less of a challenge when you kind of compare it and contrast it. I'd, I'd love to switch gears and talk about, um, you know, you a little bit. And, and one of the questions that I always like to ask is where you think you have an edge or a superpower and how that shows up in your day-to-day work. And this could be either just on the personal side and your own, you know, kind of chase of peak performance or in building found. I've come to believe my superpower is the ability, my brain loves to organize things into frameworks. So if you give me a bunch of data, uh, interview questions, books I've read, it will always try and rack and stack that into a framework to help me organize and understand it. And I found that's been a huge advantage. So it's helped me you know, build frameworks for how we coach. It's helped me design products based on disparate information. I mean, one of the products we have is based on work I did with Navy SEALs on diving, clients asking questions about jet lag, reading research papers. You, know, you sort of bring that all together and then it clicks and I always kind of laugh about it as the moment you see the code in the matrix and it all comes together. And then I think at the end of the day, it's been most powerful for me with Fount for developing the big vision. 
how do we think about what's missing and why can't we do what we want to do today? People just want to have a simple answer to what to eat, take, and do to look, feel, and perform like they want. And in every other industry, we don't sort of like criticize someone if they want it to be made easy for them. We expect good UX and other things. And so why is it that we can't make it easy for people in health today? And that's what led me to the big vision we have for data and collecting different types of data and then using those to build this sort of high UX version of health in the future. For someone whose brain isn't naturally wired to think about frameworks, I think it might be helpful to go just a level deeper and I'd be curious to hear your perspective on why a framework is so helpful. You know, it seems like part of it is maybe making sense of a massive amount of data that can just be overwhelming and confusing. Maybe it's o- orienting you on kind of the reason there. Help explain for people listening why a framework is so helpful and how to think about the importance of a framework. I think about them as heuristics or shortcuts for how to make decisions. So. You know, for example, I mentioned this trust and mission focus framework I developed based on work I was doing with the military. That helps me decide who to hire. So when I think about culture for our company and who to hire, that's those are the big cuts. When I need to solve a problem physiologically for a client, it would be very difficult to start from, you know, zero and build everything up every time. And so when I know that I can think about, you know, often you know, certain challenges are, you know, if you ha- are caused by inflammatory factors, stress hormone factors, I have these building blocks that I can use to rapidly get to a solution. And the beauty is I don't look at these as perfect solutions. I just need to get to a 95% confidence and then I can run the experiments or do other work to get to however high confidence or get the client to where they need to go. So it's about shortcuts and being able to rapidly understand what's happening in the world to make decisions. I want to go back to a little bit of your work with the Navy SEALs and ask um, a little bit of a higher level question, which is, you know, so you have this deep experience. You spent seven years working with Navy SEALs, other special operators. In your work now at Fount, I imagine you've worked with tens, maybe hundreds of clients um, optimizing their own peak performance. I would imagine you have a pretty big data set of just peak performers and what peak performance looks like. One of the questions I wanted to ask is just, how do you think about the commonalities of peak performance? Because one, I think it, you know, a lot of people like to try to kind of bucket peak performance. And I guess in my experience, it seems that actually all peak performers share a lot of attributes. How do you think about that and what that looks like? I think the best performers in the world are able to handle the challenges that slow or stop other people. So they make decisions under uncertainty. They can you know, move forward consistently even when the stress levels are high. And they often have the ability to laugh about some parts of it. And that doesn't mean that people aren't stressed and you hear a lot of discussion of very successful people with bipolar or other things, but like you've got to be able to laugh about some parts of it sometimes. And there's a Jimmy Buffett song where he says something like, if we couldn't laugh, we would all go insane. I grew up with Jimmy Buffett playing in the background. And so it comes to mind. So I think, you know, the ability to operate under uncertainty and high stress are the biggest pieces, especially in terms of making decisions and moving forward and not getting stuck. That bit about humor makes me think a little bit differently about Elon Musk's Twitter feed of memes and all sorts of just kind of ridiculous stuff is maybe that's actually just a way of blowing off steam, (laughs) dealing with some of the stress that he's dealing with day to day. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, the more creative someone is often, the more they see absurdities. I think you often, you would imagine that a lot of his humor is related to absurdities. And so he sees these things that don't match his mental model. And, you know, it's funny to him and he has sort of no evidence from the environment that putting those memes and things out there hurt him. In fact, as best I can tell, it's like helping his brand really quite a bit. So yeah, I, I don't blame him. And uh, I, I like having humor in my life. And I think being able to laugh about even the hard times has been critical for me to push through, you know, running a startup for the last three plus years. When you think about yourself, is there a tiny habit or practice that you've incorporated? Uh, this can be anywhere. It can be in your work, in your personal life. Um, that's had an outsized impact. And in, in what is that? I do so many things. Obviously, this is my day-to-day life um, that I get I have, a, I have a coach in my own brain to help me optimize. I mentioned breakfast earlier, optimizing breakfast for me, which was, I'm not a morning person. I work really late. My circadian rhythm runs really late. And, you know, by the way, for all the other people out there who do that, it's, you're not lazy if you don't get up in the morning. Some of us are genetically tilted to have a later circadian rhythm. It actually makes sense, you know, from a sort of an evolutionary psychology perspective, you'd want some people who are up late to protect the tribe. And you want some people who are up early to protect the tribe and then most of the people you want in the middle. But all that aside, I need to get up. I want to eat something super quickly. I want to have great energy levels and be focused throughout the you know morning and rest of the day. And I have found through experimenting that this very weird mix that I drink of like almond butter and olive oil and water mixed together into pudding is just a home run for my body and my brain. And getting that dialed in has been... It gives me, imagine having 30% better performance every day. That probably gives me that much benefit versus no breakfast or the wrong breakfast. Yeah, it's a massive delta. And it makes me want to get the recipe for Andrew's weird pudding. (laughs) It's got almond butter and water and olive oil. I'll get that to you offline. (laughs) In your work building Fount, um, are there any business, fitness, health, peak performance books that have had an outsized impact on your thinking and approach? And I think there, you know, one of the topics we always like to try to pull out is just books that have been impactful. For you, it's a pretty wide spectrum. Um, any that come to mind, any that you frequently recommend or cite to others? So the book that's probably changed my life the most that I don't know if it's as relevant, maybe the rest of the group, I'll get you some more like, you know, relevant business books in a sec, was a book called The Making of the Atomic Bomb. It's a Pulitzer Prize winning history of the Manhattan Project and the US Atomic Bomb Program. And the first part of the book starts with all these scientific discoveries that led to understanding that a bomb was possible and then making one. You know, before we get into the Manhattan Project of actually going to do the research to actually engineer and design these weapons. And it is incredibly inspiring to read this short period of time, you know, 20 years where they go from not knowing really anything about sort of nuclear physics to these like every year and sometimes month by month, you know, sort of Nobel prize worthy discoveries. And two things came out of that for me. One, I can't help but read that and ask if I'd been there, could I have, you know, could I have done it? Could I have been making these discoveries? Like, do I have what it takes to be this good? And that to me is a motivation. And then two, it really motivated me to go deep into the science. And I ended up you know, doing a program in undergrad that was more sort of technology focused. And then I went to grad school for science and having that deep background has been really valuable for me. On the more business side, um, for hiring, I really like the book Who 
for mission focus, which I've talked about a bunch of times here, I'm a amp it up Frank Slootman fan. For mental models, Nassim Taleb, you know, Black Swan, those that series of books I like. And then two other things. One, I like reading books about startups and founders because the honest ones tell the story of how challenging things were at different times. We probably think of, you know, the PayPal mafia as sort of like the best entrepreneurs of our current time. But like multiple times in that run did you know PayPal almost goes bankrupt. And it's good to remember that you know they're obviously incredibly smart, successful, talented people and they almost put that ship into the ground. And so it's okay to not have things be going right every time. And then I read science fiction books and I think that keeps my brain flexible and thinking about different things and kind of adds to the creative component as well. Is there any favorite science fiction book? Um, you know, I am a big fan of Ready Player One. I've been going through Snow Crash recently. Obviously, both weird, kind of metaverse focused. Any science fiction books you would call out or point people to? Neil Stevenson books for sure would be my top picks. Uh, Seven Eves would be another great one that there's a lot, of, kind of an interesting biology component to as well. It's fascinating. And finally, you know, if you could go back to the start of your career and whisper some advice in your ear, is there any advice that you would give your younger self? So I started working in the Pentagon and, you know, at first I'm a junior person out of school and you're talking to a colonel who's been there for 20 years and they're like, wow, this person's important. Then you talk to these people and you're like, I don't think this person knows what they're talking about. But like, let me meet the generals because, you know, there's a big, a lot of colonels that make the general. And then you start having these same feelings, but you're like, but there must be a room of adults somewhere. And of course, the big conclusion is there's no room of adults. You have to do it yourself if you want to change it. And so I think, you know, the big takeaway that I would have you know, given myself even earlier is there's no room of adults. If you think it should happen, figure out how to make it happen. And in a big bureaucracy, the way to do that is to turn an insurgency into a conspiracy. So get the people at the bottom, find the people at the top, crush the middle that's in the way. That's the model for how to do it as best I could tell. <laughs> That's fascinating. Uh, it's a perfect note to end on. Thank you so much for joining me on 20 Minute Playbook, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Such a pleasure to chat. Thank you so much for listening. You can find the show notes and text transcript for this episode at outlieracademy.com slash 128. That's outlieracademy.com slash 128. For more from Andrew Herr, listen to episode 127, where Andrew joins me on Outlier Academy as part of our Outlier Founder series to break down what he's building at Fount. Fount offers a highly customized three-month program that's born out of Andrew's work, enhancing the performance of Special Forces warriors in the U.S. military, including the Navy SEALs. Before founding Fount, Andrew spent seven years running the human performance and biotech strategy for the U.S. military special forces. Wired Magazine described Andrew's work for the U.S. military as giving our soldiers mutant powers. To listen to that episode, simply visit outlieracademy.com slash 127. It's outlieracademy.com slash 127. You can find videos of all of our interviews on YouTube at youtube.com slash outlieracademy. On our channel, you'll find all of our full-length interviews as well as our favorite short clips from every episode, including this one. So make sure to subscribe. We post new clips and videos every single week. And if you haven't already, follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn under the handle Outlier Academy. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you right here with a brand new episode next Friday.